Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. I'm your host, John Cribbs, and I am co-founder of thepinksmoke.com. This is a monthly subscribers-only podcast, and on behalf of the Pink Smoke crew, let me just say thank you for your continued support. Our uh, Patreon campaign is only a month old, but already we've seen some major advancements for the site. The biggest one uh, being our brand new partnership with the Pure Cinema Podcast. Pure Cinema is an incredible show hosted by Brian Sauer and Elric Kane. Uh, they've just started their third season, and we're super excited to announce that you can now hear their latest episodes and all previous episodes from their last two seasons on thepinksmoke.com. To celebrate this development, I'm joined by a very special guest, Pure Cinema co-host Brian Sauer. Brian is the brains behind Rupert Pupkin Speaks, a site dedicated to new and exciting DVD Blu-ray releases that feature uh, guest writers weighing in on some of their favorite lesser-loved movies. Brian also hosts the podcast Just the Disc. Brian, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Let me say, first of all, that we are so happy, Elric, Kane, and I, my podcast co-host on Pure Cinema, are so happy to be joining up with you guys as we're big admirers of the site and what you guys do. And I just feel like... Our Elric and I's tastes are just really well aligned with what you and and Mr. Funderburg are doing. Uh, it's just seemed like a really great match. So thank you again for being down to have us as part of your site. Uh, we are we are honored, sir. We are both huge fans of the podcast and look forward to uh, what's coming up in the future. Could you tell us just a little bit about how this uh, podcast got started. Um, as far as where the show started, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I've been a big podcast guy for many, many, many years now. Um, a lot of it has to do with my long commute, which I think I mentioned on both my podcasts at some point. Um, but I live uh, about 90-minute minimum one-way drive from Los Angeles where I work. And so I've always been... Uh, um, looking for something to occupy myself in the car and podcast became a thing for me. I want to say circa 2009, maybe actually about the time I was starting Rupert Pupkin speaks, um, 2009, 2010. And so I started getting into them and listening to them and, um, doing interviews for a show called the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. And then just finding different shows along the way. Um, I think I'm trying to remember when the last time, I'm sorry, when the first time I, I heard Elric was on his show Killer POV before it was Shockwaves. And I can't remember how I found Shock, uh, Killer POV. I think it was... I was looking for horror podcasts, maybe. Because horror is obviously one of many uh, areas of cinema that I enjoy a great deal. And I, maybe you had it re recommended to me. I don't know. It's such an interesting thing because Elric and I talk about you know, when and how people find podcasts and, you know, how we're still a very young podcast only being like a year old now and how, at least for me, I know I didn't find killer POVs till they were probably at episode like, it could be as low as high seventies and it could be higher than that, you know? So like many, many episodes in, um, so like it takes a while for people to find these things is another thing we talk about a lot. But anyway, I heard uh, Killer POV and Elric and Rob and Rebecca were all great. Um, but I found myself really drawn to Elric in particular, um, just the way that he spoke about movies and the way that when they would have less horror oriented shows he seemed to I mean he he lights up all the time on that uh now what is shockwaves but he would light up even a little bit more when there was other cinema mentioned and certain key titles and I'm blanking on which ones but maybe some cult movie stuff some Danny Perry related stuff um kept coming up and or would just he would mention it off the so, off to the side on certain episodes, um, and I was just like, God, this guy seems like a kindred spirit. And so I started hitting him and Rob both up for lists of discoveries on Rupert Cup. Pumpkin Speaks, and then I became more friendly with them online. I actually came on Killer POV at one point to do. Um, an end of the year episode about discoveries. I did a horror list for that. And so, you know, I, I, I became friendly with Elric and then I eventually found out he was a fan of Danny Perry and I've been working on a Danny Perry documentary for 
five years or so. And um, so I interviewed him for that. And, and it was around that time that I did that interview, which was, I think, a couple years ago now, that it was um, clear that we could have a good conversation about movies. And so we would we would still be hitting each other up online. And then I would see him at this, um, horror trivia event that we have here in Los Angeles and Burbank. And I still go to that, um, some months. Uh, and so I'd see him there and he, 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 we would run into each other and talk. And he mentioned a podcast idea he had had that was initially going to be something he was thinking of calling double bill. It was going to be about, you know, two movies and, um, you know, it was that sense of pairing movies, which is something we definitely do on the show now regularly, but it wasn't quite what it ended up being, but I was really into the idea of that podcast. And, um, I was a little nervous about it because I was doing a podcast called just, uh, called off the shelf at the time. Uh, uh, it's kind of like just the disc, but a little different, not deep dives on particular discs, but more just a news show and talking about what was coming out. And that was taking up a lot of my time. So I was a little nervous about trying to do another show, but it ended up that my podcast partner at that time for that show just decided to call it quits. And it sort of serendipitously opened me up to being available to do pure cinema and, you know, just sitting down with Elric in a room that first time we recorded, we had ideas about what to do. He had come up with this idea of a handshake five, which has become one of the signature things of the show. Um, you know, which is just for those that don't know, it's just like five movies that kind of define you as a person, five movies that if you found another person that had, you know, three or four of your five, you would clearly get along with those people. And it's not necessarily about a favorite or not. It's about movies that are, really special to you whether they be mid-level quality movies or whatever there's something about them that is just you um so anyway doing that and sitting down with him and, and talking to him in person it just it ended up working out he and i just can talk movies together and we actually um like like you and chris funderberg i think in a lot of ways are just really aligned in a lot of ways and our tastes in movies like if he's i don't know if, if you and chris have the same thing but um if elric sees a newer movie and gives me his take lately i'm mostly i want to say like 90 percent of the time he's he's figured out like his take is basically what my take will be. And that's pretty unusual for me. Cause I, I've kind of odd taste in certain things. Um, anyway, I'm going on and on, but that's, that's more or less the genesis of the show. <laughs> no, that's pretty much exactly the kind of relationship that, uh, Chris and I have is like, you know, cinema blood brothers. Yeah. We uh, have very similar taste in things. Even if one of us likes a movie, you know, a little less than the other, our general takes are usually pretty similar. We have kind of like a, a similar thing and we have like a high tolerance for, for most movies where, you know, it's like, even if a film doesn't work all, all around, we'll find something in it that's positive, something that we like about it. We, uh, you know, don't have a lot of pushback when it comes to, uh, you know, to films. And, uh, I think we have too a low tolerance for, movies that don't do it for us you know we just you know it's a uh, you know if it's a film that everyone's going crazy about it just doesn't just doesn't float our boat it's just you know well it's just like let the boat pass you yeah know? no i've i love uh, that about you guys you know you don't absolutely. tend to dwell on negativity too much it's more about yeah it wasn't our thing but this over here was really our thing you know there's always some place to channel the passion absolutely right um, but yeah, but pure cinema, I mean, you guys come up with such amazing topics, uh, kind of when I, you know, I'm, I'm still really new to, I'm still kind of like discovering new podcast every day and kind of, you know, especially film podcast and kind of finding out what everyone's kind of gimmick is or what they're kind of, uh, what they kind of go into it with. And there really is no way to figure out what you guys are going to do next. And it's always such a cool idea and it's something that just blows you away with it's like innovation and the possibilities and not only that but you guys pick your selections or which what the topic's going to be and then you know you branch off into other things and you'll just name drop something that's like oh my god yes i love that thing too you know and it's just the kind of conversation that you know you just get lost in so we definitely love 
every single new episode we look forward to every new topic and it's uh just great that you guys are starting a new season we've been waiting for it i appreciate it man i mean i gotta give a lot of the credit to elric as far as the topics like we we definitely bounce the ideas off and we have a google document that we share that we've been working on for the full year that we've had the show um but Elric has really, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm a big list maker. That's been a big thing that for Rupert Pupkin speaks for years is, you know, on my blog, we're making lists all the time, underrated movies, genre type stuff, but you know, film discoveries, but Elric has, you know, with things like one of our favorite episodes of the show is the life cycle episode. And that was his idea. And, I just thought it was oh my really, god so good just so a neat, good. neat way to think about movies and I think it's a something that gets people that are into movies but not crazy rabid into movies like you and I are pushes them in that direction because when you talk about life cycle which Elric was like okay so we'll just pick five movies one from you know uh, childhood and then one from adolescence and then one from uh you know, the 20s drift and then one from adulthood and one from the twilight years. And I was like, oh, that's such an interesting idea. How do I? So you start thinking about movies in a different way other than uh, video store uh, genres, which is not even really a thing anymore because there aren't really video stores. But I just think it's an it's a neat way to increase your appreciation for cinema and drive your passion is to to start to try and put films together and find you know if whether it be thematic links or um you know just in terms of characters ages or whatever it's it's just a fun when you've seen as many movies as um as the kind of people that listen to pure cinema and the kind of people that Elric and I and you and Chris are, it's fun to just start shuffling them around in your head in different ways. You know, that just is really exciting to me. It's like a game that you play and I'm a compulsive list maker. So as soon as Elric mentions a topic, I usually have to sketch out at least uh, a, a first draft of a list right then and there because my brain just wants to do that. So I, I, I don't know. And that's but, another that's another great thing too about for the listener, you know, the benefit of the listener is that, you know, you, you get so into the conversation that you just want to start, you know, whipping out your own list and thinking about what you would, you know, what you would say. Yeah. I love that kind of interaction too. It's great. It's great to hear what people, cause that, and that's ultimately what the blog and, um, the podcasts and things are kind of about in some ways is, is, is get hearing back from people and, so much of the content on Rupert Pupkin Speaks is uh, contributed from people like yourself, people that I respect, who I know, especially the Film Discovery series, which I'm still running right now, um, which is my favorite. It's like the flagship series on Rupert Pupkin Speaks, where I invite all kinds of people to um, offer up their favorite films they saw for the first time that came out. F- usually I try to emphasize from 2000 and prior, so older films. That stuff and getting lists from other people that have heard the show, heard pure cinema, is the kind of thing that tends to fuel my discoveries for another year. And I never want to stop. I, I don't. I, I have a backlog, as I'm sure you do, of so many movies. It's not ever going to stop. But I love always getting more. You know, it's just wonderful. Oh, of course, and that's that's just the whole appeal to Republican Speaks. Is you know, there are lots of different websites that you know talk about the new Blu-rays that are coming out or you recommend older films, but they've got nothing on Rupert Pupkin. You go there and you get such an eclectic selection of films from so many different voices. And you're like, you're right. It's, you could never, you could never watch all the interesting movies that get dropped, uh, you know, in the blog that on people's list, they're just, they're too many. And there are, and they're ones you've never heard of. They're ones that, you know, you hear about you're like, Oh yeah, I love that film. And you feel like a kinship to the writer. It's yeah. It's just with every new entry, it's just rewarding every single time. Yeah. I, I, I was really excited about yours and, and Funderburg's lists for, um, where Pupkin speaks. If, if people haven't definitely, Google those uh, and and go check out what you guys discovered in the past year because those were great and both lists gave me stuff to watch um, and I look I it, I'm kicking myself for not I think I just I, I we were running in similar circles and I knew of you guys but not soon enough as far as I'm concerned and I wish I'd had you guys in that series you know the last five years so you will be from here on out we'll say that 
Oh, thank you. So I, mean, I can't tell you what an honor it was to, you know, have you reach out and invite me to do a list. It was like, wow. Like, you know, like get invited to the prom, but the prettiest girl in school. What can oh, I say? It was just kind. absolutely wonderful. You're too kind. Um, but, but I should mention too, because the surprises keep coming and this has all happened so fast with, uh, uh, pure cinema, uh, dropping their new, uh, episode just this last week. Uh, you guys also have a series of, uh, flashcards. Oh yeah. Uh, by, uh, I should say Ryan Biddle. Yeah. And that's for your, uh, Patreon series, uh, your Patreon bonus episodes. And the, you want to talk about what the concept behind that is? Sure. Again, Elric, uh, it's, it's all about his ideas. I mean, we, we definitely feed off each other, but he came up with the idea of a, I had done a cinematic alphabet years ago on Rupert Pupkin Speaks, which was fun. You just took a letter, a movie for every letter. But Elric was like, what if we did a director's alphabet? We take the three letters at a time, and we'll take the the letter as the first letter of the director's last name, any director with that letter, last name, and pick a movie to highlight. And so we started that director series as a Patreon exclusive. We've done ABC and DEF. We've done two episodes. Um, we'll have a new one coming soon for Patreon. Um, but the the cards was uh, a, a different thing. I mean, the, the, the cards aren't necessarily our picks for the Patreon, but the idea is based in that. So Ryan approached us about, you know, doing something. I think he wanted to do a book at first, and we were just like, ah, we're not sure about that. You know, and we had seen he had done these wonderful uh, sci-fi flashcards, which I highly recommend. You know, look up Ryan Biddle uh, Instagram, and you'll see his sci-fi set. But so then we were like, well, what if we did something based on this? Because he had actually, I think, proposed the idea of the director series, maybe. And we're like, what if we did cards? And so then we came up with a list of directors, twenty-six cards. Uh, we alternated, you know, A and B and C and D, etc. And we picked a director and one film and Ryan's going and illustrating so we've and, and that was we had planned on that being something we could release exclusively through the pink smoke which is really exciting so you guys will always be debuting the cards when they come out so the first one is Robert. Super exciting. Yeah, it, it's they turned out he's really really talented and it's one of those things where we're just like wow this is amazing. We just wrote the list and he's doing all the work really. Um, so he did the first one, <laughs> which is uh, Robert Altman. And it's a nice illustration of Altman's face. And then um, the long goodbye is the movie we, that I picked for, for that one. And um, so it's, it's a really cool, you can go to the pink smoke and see it on our tab, Robert Altman and, and uh, you know, Elliot Gould being Philip Marlowe. And that's the first card, and then yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's gorgeous. As much as I would have loved to have seen his rendering of Philip Baker Hall in Secret Honor, just uh, <laughs> as Elliot Gould is just amazing. Looks yeah. great. And I love how he uses the uh, the rating bar for his for the bottom of the card with the uh, the name of the director and the movie with it. That's a really nice touch. Yeah, he's he's a he's a incredibly talented designer. Designed the new um, Pure Cinema logo, which we had him do up in the Pink Smoke colors. So if you go to the Pink Smoke tab on, um, or the uh, I'm sorry, the Pure Cinema tab on Pink Smoke, you'll see our little logo in the um, player, and that is designed by him as well. Just an incredibly talented guy. One of the benefits of of doing a show that apparently reaches some cool people is that occasionally somebody will reach out and offer to do something cool like this, and you just are absolutely blown away by it. So I'm really excited to de- debut all those cards. Hopefully one about one a week or so or one uh per episode or so um with um Pure Cinema as they come out. Um or maybe one a week. I don't know how we're going to do it. Um but anyway, I'm excited for people to see them cuz I've seen the next 3 cards and they're all great. Uh and I hope people like them like we we are enjoying them. I'm sure they will. They this first one looks amazing, and I don't want to know what the next cards are. I want to be surprised. Will be. <laughs> so excellent. Something I love too is that you guys are you know West Coast and we're East Coast. You know we're kind of representing both sides. I love that of the continent there. That's nice. Something you brought up that it's really nice too is that we're all uh, movie dads yes. as well. We've all got kids, and we oh. all love showing our kids movies and kind of getting them into cinema, uh, which I know is a point of pride for you. Big time. Uh, with your kids especially yeah so it's just yeah it's a great partnership man i'm so glad that 
it happened and it's again i'm still getting used to it it's only about a month old yeah um but exciting stuff is happening. So very excited, sir. Very honored to have you uh, to be partnered with you. Honored to be a part of the Pink Smoke, sir. Thank you so much. So we just did uh, we just did an episode for Just the Disc on Matinee, which just came out on Blu-ray, beautiful Shout Factory Blu-ray. Uh, the Burbs is going to be coming out uh, through them as well in a couple months, something like that. Um, so I, I propose that maybe we as two super huge Joe Dante fans, just have a little conversation about some of the character actors that he uses in his films, which obviously he's got a great stable of uh, recognizable faces who pop up in several of his films. And I don't just kind of have a loose conversation about some of the people that we like best. And I guess we'll start by uh, with the obvious one, obviously would be his John Wayne, his, uh, his Cary Grant, (laughs) his Jimmy Stewart, uh, Dick Dick Miller, the great Dick Miller. Oh man, I love Dick Miller so much, man. He's, yeah, he's the greatest. Uh, he's one of my favorites, yeah, and, and just I don't know too many. I mean, I love the the whole idea of the director actor partnership, and you know, you have like you said, your John Wayne and John Ford, and uh, you know, you you could there's there's so many that you could name, but what's interesting to me is that I don't think that many people have gone to the lengths that Joe has to include Dick Miller in some form in as many projects as he had. Cause I think you said he's in, he's in 20, he's worked with him like 22 times, something like that. That's right. Practically every project. And uh, the only one he got cut out of was Amazon women on the moon. His section got cut out. I'm, I'm guessing that wasn't Dante's decision. Oh, I didn't know that. That was a collaboration. Yeah. He has, has a cut scene where he plays a ventriloquist. I think oh, you can nice. see it on, uh, on YouTube. I gotta look um, Yeah, definitely should. But uh, yeah, I think they've done pretty much everything together, including several, you know, TV shows. Um, and it's just always great. I think the difference between having, you know, like a funny cameo or a recognizable guy showing up in a movie, like most directors do, what Dick Miller brings to Dante's films is this, again, this awareness that, that, that Dante is, one thing that Dante's always said about his films is that he always wants the audience to be aware that they're watching a movie. He doesn't want them to become too immersed in the story. You know, he has like a certain step back that he wants them to take, you know, and that kind of a surface level. And Dick Miller obviously is a patron saint of character actors and film actors in general, that it kind of ties Dante to his Roger Corman days where Dick Miller flourished and was again, you know, pretty much every Roger Corman exploitation film that you can, uh, that you can throw a stick at. Well, I, but, I was going to uh, say in, in line with that, I noticed that he's often, his character is often named either Walter Paisley or Paisley, which is obviously a nod to his role in bucket of blood, um, for Corman. Uh, I mean, obviously he played Futterman in the, in the gremlins movies, but I was looking him up again today. I'm like, Oh, Paisley, Walter Paisley. You know, that's like, there's like 10 of the roles he's played have that name. You know, it's just a cute little nod. Of course, his most famous role of all time, at least in my opinion, the yeah, bucket of blood is a classic. And, uh, the one Corman movie that he really, shines in his you know it, it, he's definitely the star of uh but murray futterman yeah that was it murray futterman is kind of an interesting thing because that's a lot more of a supporting character that he used than he usually plays in uh, dante's films usually he's just showing up for a scene or two and it was such a good character that they brought him back after killing him off in the first movies for the sequel and i think that you can't undervalue um a great character actor, but it kind of blurs the lines between what makes a movie star and what makes someone who's a character actor. Bruce Dern, for example, being in the burbs and the whole Bruce Dern obviously was like an A-list star back in the seventies when he was in movies like silent running and smile and whatnot. And, um, coming home, I get coming home, of course, getting like Oscar nominated for that film. When you get older and you kind of become, you know, more of a character actor, but it's still you, you bring that history with you. You can't not bring that history with you. And I think that that's something that Dante really taps into with a lot of his favorite uh, cast members is their their movie history. That's just sort of like on their face. Yeah, no, I was thinking that when I was looking through, I've got a nice long list, but one that comes to mind for me that definitely has that movie history is Kenneth Toby. Um, shows up in The Howling, Gremlins, Inner Space. He has the, I think he has the great line that's um, 
play with it, don't talk to it, pal. Isn't I think that's Ken Toby, um, yep. in, mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Um, and Ken Toby was just in a bunch bunch of the um, the '50s sci-fi movies that Dante is such a big fan of, and that you know Matinee is kind of paying tribute to. Um, but yeah, I just love that he can just throw Ken Toby into a movie, uh, you know, and, and few other directors of Joe's generation, like Spielberg and these other people, I don't know that they were using a guy like that as much or, or, or Kevin McCarthy, who's one of the heavyweights, you know, um, comes up in tons of Dante movies and is, you know, goes back to obviously, uh, invasion of the body snatchers. Um, he got a little more play, I think, from other directors, but I love that Joe uses him so much because I love Kevin McCarthy. I actually, I I have a story about two of his character actors that I met on the same day. Um, both have now passed away. I met at a, I think it was a Twilight Zone convention that was at like a Holiday Inn in Burbank, and this must have been. I mean, I don't know when they both passed away, but, um, but he, so he was there and he was signing pictures. He had a great picture of, um, it was, a from, from the set of inner space and it was like Joe Dante Spielberg and, um, and Kevin McCarthy and somebody else was in the picture. I can't remember, but they had the original pods from invasion of the body snatchers and oh, wow. they were all pointing at him, And he wrote like, check out those pods, you know, Kevin McCarthy and he signed it. And it was so great. Cause I was sitting there talking to him for a minute. And this kid came over this like younger kid. He must've been like eight, nine, 10. I don't know. And, and, and the Kevin McCarthy said something like, Hey kid, you going to buy something? And the kid's like, no. And Kevin McCarthy's like, well, well and get the hell out of here. And he's like, ah, I'm just kidding. And it was just this hilarious, <laughs> perfect Kevin McCarthy moment where it's like, oh my God, I'm so glad I saw that. That's the best thing ever. And just, it was like his character from UHF suddenly appeared and just yelled at this kid and then just left. And it was just so funny. Wow. Bringing out the RJ Fletcher. I love it. Oh, RJ. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love McCarthy in particular. I, I remember hearing Dante talking. I think it was in the commentary for Piranha. He was talking about making that movie and the different kinds of actors that he had in that movie. You know, Dick has a decent sized part in that movie. Um, Paul Bartel, which we can talk about later, has a decent sized part. But, um, how Kevin McCarthy was like very method at the time. And that like before every take, um, he would psych himself up by saying, it's the end of the fucking world. It's the end of the fucking world. Just right before he did a take. (laughs) And that to me just blows my mind because I love Kevin McCarthy, but I think of him much more as a comic actor. I mean, but if you do watch him in Piranha, he's, he's pretty like on edge and kind of crazed. And so you can kind of feel that, but it's keyed up, (laughs) right? Yeah. It just gave me a better sense of him as an actor, as a craftsman, um, in that role to hear that. I was just like, wow, I, that's so crazy. And then to see him pop up in, you know, what is it? Piranha, the howling twilight zone, inner space, matinee, second civil war, Looney tunes. He's in all those movies. And it's such, I love that. I love that he shows up that much. Yeah, it was great, uh, great exit for him too from the Joe Dante uh, universe and Looney Tunes holding the pod in black and white. It's great, mur- murmuring to himself. That's just like what a great sign off for a you know a legend. You know, yeah. I love that. Um, it's unfortunate because I listening to the interviews actually on the new matinee Blu-ray just now. Uh, they mentioned that Kenneth Toby was supposed to be in Mant in the in the movie, but he wasn't able to do it because he had had a stroke. Oh, uh, that would have been perfect though to uh, so perfect. pair him up with uh, his thing co uh, co star Robert Corthwaite, who's so good oh, in that, that section of the movie. But yeah, love Toby McCarthy is just one of my all time faves. I almost flew out to California once when I knew he was going to be uh, doing a signing, you know, a couple years before his death. But it just didn't work out. Would love to have met him. Who was the other actor that you ended up uh, meeting? <laughs> the other actor was William Shallert, um, who is yes. a big Dante guy. Um, Twilight Zone, Gremlins, Inner Space, Matinee, The Second Civil War. He's he's in Mant, um, which is great. I had less of a good experience with William Shallert. I, I got to be honest. Um, I went up to talk to him. And I'm a weird kid. I, I was a weird kid in high school. One of my favorite things in high school was I used to love to watch reruns of the Patty Duke show um, on Nick at Night. So I was obsessed with that show. I had a crush on Patty Duke. Um, and 
I watched it religiously. I taped it. And so I brought that up to him. I was like, oh, I'm such a big fan of, you know, Patty Duke. And he like rolled his eyes and just gave me this look like you are a weirdo kid. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, well, that's not really what I expected from Patty Duke's dad. Uh, but I don't know, you know, who knows? Maybe he just, I'm sure you get a lot of weird people and, uh, you know, perverts and whatever. And maybe I just look like some kind of a creepy, I, I don't know what, but, but like I said, far the opposite experience with Kevin McCarthy, who couldn't have been sweeter. And to see him yell at that kid made my month. It was the best thing ever. So yeah, Shallert was fine. I love Shallert though. I think he's a really neat character actor and I love to see him pop up. Not only in Joe Dante movies, he pops up all the time in TV. And I mean, he's just one of those, um, stalwart character actors that's been around forever. And, uh, you know, he, he, I don't know. There's something really funny about him playing the doctor in Mant, you know, that's just like a really humorous role for me. Yeah, it was great uh, hearing the interview, too, with the guy who played Mant, who was just blown away by Shallard on the set saying, you know, he just tapped into this perfect straight man mentality that really worked. That was, you know, made it exactly like an old B movie. And he also mentioned that uh, when he in the, in the scene where he breaks out of the jail and knocks Shallard down and then walks away, he stepped on Shallard's foot. Oh, and you can hear him screaming in, in the finished film. <laughs> That's him actually screaming because he got his foot stepped on. Oh my god, that's hilarious! Like a giant ant costume. <laughs> oh man, that's that's so funny. Yeah, I I I one thing I neglected to mention in our uh, matinee episode of Just This, which I love. This is just a quick callback to the Mant character uh, and John Goodman. There's a moment where the Mant like basically decks John Goodman and knocks him down. And when he gets up, he kind of pretends like it was all part of the show and everybody mm-hmm. laughs it off. And, and there's this whole thing about like him bringing back showmanship. And I'm like, he just got leveled and he just, it was just a perfect con, you know, the, the Mant character loose in the theater alone is, is a brilliant bit. But anyway, not to get too off topic. We're talking about character. No, that's great. I, that's great. I was watching down the Blu-ray, honestly, and I was trying to pause it because it looks like it's good been doing his own stunt with that punch. I think so. I can't, I think he, he looks great. It's yeah, fantastic. He nailed it. Um, uh, who, who, let me ask, who is your favorite underrated Joe Dante character actor? Someone who doesn't get brought up a lot as uh, being part of the regular crew like McCarthy and, and Dick Miller. Um, That's tough. Underrated. Well, you know who I think is kind of underrated and I love her a lot is Wendy Shaw. Um, I think Wendy Shaw, I, I first saw her in The Burbs. She plays... Um, Bruce Stern's wife, uh, but she's got a great <laughs> role in Inner Space where she's like this cashier at uh, the Safeway where Jack Putter works, um, and she's like totally kind of a spacey, um, I guess, nymphomaniac. I don't know. She's talking about how she hooks up with basically everybody in the supermarket, um, but she's also in... Um, she's in small soldiers and she was in, uh, one of the amazing stories that he directed. Um, I just like her a lot. I just think she's a really affable actress and I don't know quite why she didn't get used. I didn't realize he used her as much as he did until I started doing research for this. Um, but I also was kind of curious why she didn't get used as much in general. She's a perfectly, um, solid comedian actress who you know delivers the goods every time she he used her so i don't know i was kind of bummed to realize that she didn't get used more than i had hoped i feel like at that time like in the 80s and 90s all the like you know uh flippy gibbet blonde roles were going to goldie hahn you know i goldie feel Han. like it was probably yeah meg ryan i think to like break into meg ryan oh yeah, yeah totally yeah. um but I was kind of bummed that she's not in matinee. I was thinking that like one of the weak, weak links of matinee is the mom, um, oh, yeah. the main kid's mom. She's just, it's not a big role. It's not a flashy role. It doesn't distract or anything, but I just keep watching. I think Wendy Shaw should have played that yep. part or maybe Carrie Fisher. If he could have mm. gotten her back, oh, you know, man. if he had gotten like someone, um, from his regular stable, I think I would have enjoyed that. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. It was a bummer. She's not in that. I mean, it's great to see Kathy Moriarty. I would consider her kind of, I mean, I guess she only did matinee and runaway daughters, which I was surprised to see how many people were in runaway daughters, um, mm. uh, that, you know, you know, from, 
Don Steele, you know, to uh, Corman himself, you know, I, there was a whole, Courtney Gaines in there. Courtney yeah. Gaines shows up again. Yeah, there's tons of people in that one. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, I love Kathy Moriarty in matinee, but I, I think, yeah, Wendy Shaw would have been a great. Um, a great choice for that for sure. He does bring up Belinda Belaski for a scene, so that's good. That's very cool. She's another one that came up. Another one of her favorite. Three yeah. or four, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe not quite that many. Thirteen. Thirteen. Wow. She's I, in thirteen. Out now. I'm counting the fact that she does a voice in Explorers. I don't think she actually is on screen. But uh, well, yeah, she's one of the heavyweights. Per- then I missed that. She, Damn. Toward, especially the early years, she's in Piranha. She's in The Howling. Was her probably her biggest part? Yeah, the Howling. She's in sure. uh, Gremlins, Amazon Women, Gremlins Two. She has the scene with Paul Bartel. Um, she has a matinee. She's in Runaway Daughters, Second Civil War, Small Soldiers, and then in episodes of Erie, Indiana. So damn, yeah. So wow. she's uh, she's popped up a few times, not in big flashy roles. You know, usually more like a cameo. But it's again, it's just something that kind of ingrains these movies with like a sense of familiarity that you really appreciate. Yeah. So I always sure. love seeing her show up. One that I think is kind of an underrated, doesn't get brought up enough. Well, I'll say two. One of them is uh, Rance Howard. Yeah, the late now late Rance Howard, which is really sad. I know, just passed away last year. He was always fun to see in movies. To you know, hey, that guy. Uh, years before you realize he's Ron Howard's father, yeah, Ron and Clint Howard's father. That's one of my favorite things is that he's an easy guy to point out to my wife because I'm like, oh, there's Ron Howard's dad because she knows who Ron Howard is. So it's always like, there's Rance. <laughs> Rance dressing himself. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> it's so fun to see him in line with. Um, uh, Kathleen Freeman, who was the other uh, actor I was going to bring up in Inner Space, uh, oh, yeah. and then popping up at the end of The Burbs to accuse uh, Ray of kidnapping his dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Kathleen Freeman is great. She had that great run of working with Jerry Lewis in the 60s. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers. She's Yeah, one of those yeah people. you cannot talk about her enough. She is phenomenal. And even though she only worked with Dante twice, there are two very memorable appearances as the nightwear woman in inner space one of my wife and my favorite like personal in jokes says that's a bit pricey for shampoo ain't it? <laughs> oh yeah that's awesome she's got all that like jewelry on and the glass oh it's so good <laughs> oh that she's is... amazing yeah, yeah. And then showing up as the cook uh on the cooking show in gremlins 2 of course is <laughs> it's just great it's like i'm laughing just thinking about it so he i think he really like you know scored getting her to appear in those films that really is something that adds a lot to two great two two already great films what about i mean i know he's not underrated if you're a dante nerd but but bob picardo man i mean he's the next level after dick miller i mean you said 15 times they work together something like that yeah 15 times yeah he's i mean i looked at i was surprised how much i only i mean obviously star trek is a big deal people know bob picardo from star trek but I mean, I first saw him in Inner Space as the cowboy, and that was one of my favorite. Like he 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 showed up with such confidence that I was like, I should know that guy. I should know that actor. Who is that playing? The, you know, he felt like he carried more weight than he actually does in terms of. Um, like how well people know him like because he was given such a prominent role by Dante I just felt like oh that guy must be a really big deal because he's got a really big part but no I mean he and he is if you you know if if you know Dante's movies and stuff you'll recognize him but Bob Ricardo does not get enough credit in general I don't think Oh, I agree. I, he's an icon as far as I'm concerned, you know, <laughs> uh, not only these movies, but just any time he shows up or even just his voice work in Total Recall doing the cabbie, you know, I mean, That's right. you just it just his just his presence just adds so much. Um, and I remember, you know, Inner Space is probably one of the first Dante movies I ever saw. And so kind of knew it like just as the, a great movie before I knew it as part of the Dante universe. And so when I did get into Dante and, you know, kind of backtracked and had seen more of his films, realizing that Robert Picardo had played the cowboy was, it blew me away. I had no idea. I'd never connected it before because that's not the kind of weasley little role he usually plays. You know, he usually plays the cowardly, you know, executive or theater manager who's like paranoid in in matinee or exactly. um, Or he's the, he's the like nerdy, like tech guy in uh, second civil war. You know, I mean, he's got lots of great little bits. 
Exactly. But like when you let him off the leash, you know, you're going to come up with a cowboy or uh, his first uh, work with Dante and the, uh, the uh, amazing stories that you mentioned with uh, Wendy Shaw, you know, where he has a very flamboyant type of character in that as well. Yeah. He's just a great, great comedic actor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great comedic actor. And I think that another, you know, conscious or subconscious reason, the Burbs is one of my favorites is because it pairs Picardo and Dick Miller together in the the garbage man roles and they're just so funny as like sort of like what the hell's going on in this you know cul-de-sacs or whatever Dick Miller says you know <laughs> I just love seeing those two together there's you know? no way out the people are weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good stuff man and something that I I might be wrong about um, I think and it has not been verified on the, you know, the big uh, Burbs Blu-ray or anything. I think Picard is wearing a patch that says McCarthy. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I can't prove it, but that's what it looks like. And I hope someday I can find out if that's true or not, because that would be very cool. I'll since McCarthy to... got his part uh, cut out of that movie, unfortunately. What was his part in the Burbs? Uh, he's uh, Ray's boss, <gasps> who um, it was a whole subplot that ended up getting cut oh, out. Where I Ray... remember was actually fired from his job and doesn't yeah. want to tell uh, his family about it. That's right. Um, and so he shows up in the nightmare sequence with Skip, the soda jerk, um, where he's like just in the background talking to Ray, you know, and it's like his anxiety about having gotten fired. That's right. Um, now I remember that from yeah. the Blu-ray. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I only saw that last year when I bought the Blu-ray and that was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm seeing Kevin McCarthy in the burbs on my <laughs> 200th viewing of this movie. You know? <laughs> Yeah, so many good, so many good. I mean, I was trying to think. Henry Gibson shows up more times than I realized, yes. and he's obviously he's an Altman guy. So there's a tie to Altman, which is another one of my film, favorite filmmakers. But yeah, I didn't realize Burbs, Interspace, Gremlins Two, Erie, Indiana, Runaway Daughters again, Trapped Ashes, which is one I honestly haven't seen yet myself. Um, mm-hmm. Gibson's in that. Um, yeah, that's a really cool one. And then Mary Warnov shows up in less than I would like based on how many times Paul Bartel shows up, but yeah. um, Hollywood Boulevard and Looney Tunes is kind of cool. Yeah. That does seem like a weird oversight that he wouldn't use her more. She seems totally to be on his, you know, wavelength, you yeah. would think, especially with using Bartel, who's phenomenal and everything. Of course that he pops up in for Dante, uh, especially piranhas. <laughs> oh, I love, him. love him. It's a camp guy. And uh, Oh, it's so good. He's funny, and then just watching the outtakes of him and Dick Miller, uh, you know, <laughs> doing their flubbing their lines and swearing is just always like delightful to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those two guys were part of what when I was learning about cult movies, you know, through the Danny Perry books and things like that, and I was I was starting to figure out like, oh, these Corman movies really have these followings and then you start to figure then you started to I started to read about cult actors and I was like what who are-? and then it was like you know Paul Bartel and Mary Warnov Dick Miller and I was like oh what these guys are in all these movies and then you started to see them and you're like oh my god they have little parts in all these movies and every time they show up it's gold they're a hundred percent amazing and so it sort of gave me a concept it, it helped me understand the idea of things that go into a cult movie and, and cult actors are a big part of it. They just bring with them a certain um, reality or tone or something, a certain special that, uh, that can't really be delivered by anybody else. It's, it's pretty crazy just how a little cameo from one of those guys can really spice up a movie in a big way. And the brilliance of Dante using them too, I think is that he really uses them correctly when you think of someone like Christopher Lee popping up in like a Tim Burton film or something, you kind of like laugh and you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Ha ha. Tim Burton likes Christopher Lee. But like when he shows up in Gremlins 2, it's like, I'll bet Dante just thought this is a part that Christopher Lee needs to play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is like the right person for the role. And a lot of the people, too, who pop up, uh, not in a lot of his films, but in single films here and there, like Keenan Wynn and Piranha, uh, oh, John right. Carradine and The Howling. Mm. Um, Hoyt Axton in Gremlins is such a great, like, counter choice, you know, for that role of the father. Yeah, I and wish. And of course, yeah, Brother Theodore in the Burbs. Oh I mean, my God! What can you say about that? What a brilliant. 
That's casting. see, I didn't know anything about Brother Theodore until years and years after the Burbs, and then you start to read on his history, and and you're just like, whoa, what? That's crazy, yeah. you know? I mean, for for that guy to be cast in a mainstream studio film at all is pretty nuts. Um, but and he's so fantastic in the movie. Oh man, can you imagine it without him? They originally wanted Timothy Carey to play that part. I mean, that How could, weird with that. It'd be. <laughs> weird he could do something else interesting i love tim carrey another great character actor all-time great kind of guy uh but yeah no brother theodore nine on the tension scale rube is just about <laughs> one of my favorite things ever yeah it's crazy man to think um just yeah how how varied dante is with with these again it just comes from like a tarantino you know he just would pull people out of movies from his youth. And, and, and I, I don't know. I just, I love the story about he, he, you hear Dante tell it on, I think one of the, uh, howling special features at some point or something, he was talking about how he loved working with John Carradine so much. He actually did the clapper himself on those, on the, those takes with Carradine. So he could get Carradine to tell him stories about, cause Carradine's like one of the most workingest actors, like, in the history of movies like he's been in so many from stagecoach to you know um vampire hookers you know what i mean like he's been in so many movies that dante i just love the idea that there was a guy that dante was geeking out about like i would geek out about dante oh yeah i mean you can't blame him I mean, that no. must have been amazing yeah and that's uh yeah we were talking about uh some connections between dante and tarantino over on uh just the disc and i think that's another thing that kind of connects them is that tarantino uses his old favorite character actors very similarly to the way that dante does yeah yeah and dante's been doing it for forever i mean i mean i think spielberg would would you know and scorsese well they would do that stuff a little bit but i really feel like joe is for me one of the first people when i think about it that i started to notice was doing that was sort of in, in a way i like to think of it as paying his respects to cinema, you know, uh, by bringing up an, an older, because one of my least favorite things about Hollywood and, and it's just part of movies as a business is that actors get cycled through like, like tissue, um, so quickly, uh, especially female actors, by the way. Um, but all actors get cycled past so quickly and they're so talented. I, I, we've seen a lot of them end up in TV more and more lately. And that used to happen a lot too, but I do feel like, um, there's so many talented actors that just disappear because their shelf life is kind of quote unquote expired based on some arbitrary idea of how long an actor, uh, you know, is is in the public eye or or is bankable, um, and that just leaves behind this incredible pool of talented people that I think it takes a guy like Joe Dante or Tarantino to be like, why isn't somebody using Robert Forster or why isn't somebody using Ken Toby? I'm gonna put these guys in a movie. You know, it just that makes sense to me. Yeah, and it would not. I mean, that's another thing. It would not surprise me here that Tarantino was inspired to do that, to have that kind of uh, instinct for actors, because of Joe Dante, because of the, his use of actors, which is such a novel approach. Um, I just want to throw out a few more names here. Uh, just make sure we get everybody before we wrap up. Uh, John Aston mm. uh, using Roger Corman as uh, you know to cameo in his, some of his films. It's always great. Archie Han, who again doesn't get flashy roles but pops up in nine joe dante movies Whoa. and is another like fun one to like kind of play where's waldo with uh phil hartman is so good in the uh two films that they made together second civil war and small soldiers uh, i can't say enough about what he brings to those movies uh ron perlman did a few films with him and it's great and oh john sales as an actor oh yeah they pairing him with dick miller what an amazing decision that was titans man just titans those two <laughs> it's just a great great decision and just seeing them <laughs> with tall john sales and tiny dick miller standing next to each other is just hilarious just by itself before you know even get into the really neat roles that they that he created for them in that film yeah i um, love i love sales as the uh as the um i think he's the works at the uh, mortuary or something in uh, the howling he's really great in that yeah the story he tells is great yeah 
Um, yeah, he's a good even one. as the soldier in Piranha, yeah, just love sales um, popping up and having a good, clearly having a good time in those movies. Uh, the twins, Don and Dan Stanton, pop up in a few films, and I think Dante, you know, big fan, super fans will recognize them. Uh, uh, yeah, just so many. I mean, again, something you could just talk about forever. John Glover in Gremlins Two, amazing performance. Um, but uh, but yeah, we. Um, Anyone? Do we miss anyone? I think I feel like we got the big, the big uh, heavy hitters here. Yeah, I totally forgot about Archie Hahn, man. Uh, you know, from Phantom of the Paradise. You know, prior to Dante, even I've completely spaced on him, and now it's like uh, you filled in a gap in my mind. I was like, oh my god, wow! So thank you for that. Oh yeah, of course. It's uh, I. It, Dante always likes to use the excuse like, "Well, I just like working with my friends," you know. But there's definitely more to it than that. I mean, they they really just make these films that much better just just by popping up in them, and it's something that you don't get from most directors. But his appreciation, again, his appreciation of them is something that makes you like the films even more. Well, and it, it also it also creates a sense of a shared universe you know you've got his tone that he brings to a movie and then these same faces popping up it it's it's of the same um d- dimension as it were and I, I really like that it, it's it's a nice familiarity but it also is a shorthand for some tonal things that certain actors like these bring perfectly to a joe dante movie um so i think it's just a really smart move to, to have this continuity between um so many of his films because of a lot of these people absolutely uh well brian thank you so much for uh for talking to me on this podcast i hope everyone has enjoyed listening to an actual uh, professional podcaster <laughs> as opposed to me oh my and uh, if you want to hear if you want to hear more of that uh, i couldn't recommend pure cinema podcast more uh if you've never heard it before pick any episode that sounds interesting. I guarantee it will be. And, uh, go over to Rupert Pupkin speaks, listen to just the disc. Uh, Brian, thank you so much, man. I look forward to having more conversations with you. Uh, it's so much fun. I, I would be honored. And let me just say, thank you so much for the kind words. And let me also say, uh, despite your own self disparagement there, um, you and, and Funderburg both, um, do quite well, uh, for yourselves on all the podcasts I've ever heard. And you guys' episodes of wrong real are some of my favorite episodes of those shows. So don't, please don't sell yourself short. Uh, as you, <laughs> as you guys are great movie talkers. And that's part of the reason, um, I wanted to have us join up with the pink smoke was after hearing you guys on podcasts because you know your shit and uh, I respect the hell out of that. So anyway, thank you again. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you again for your support. Um, Please go and check out the pure cinema podcast. If you've never heard it before, all episodes are now available on the pinksmoke.com. Check out Rupert Pupkin speaks, check out just the disc, Brian's other podcast. Uh, so much more to come we're very excited things are moving forward faster than we could have even anticipated thanks to your support everyone have a great day